um, first of all, do uh, one thing I didn't do with Steve was get a formal introduction. So would you be willing to just tell me your name and where you're from? My name is Cheryl Kornberg, and I'm from Berkeley, California, now residing in Hawaii. And how long have you been um, sailing on the Gershon too? Since uh, 1997. So that's, let's see, about eight years. Mm-hmm. On and off. Out of that eight years, how much time have you been spent, have you spent on the boat? It, well, it was chopped up, you know, it'd be a year at a time, then maybe six months at a time, two months a year, that kind of year, maybe three years. Three years out of eight. Yeah, but off and on. It's a pretty significant chunk of time. Mm-hmm. Had you ever sailed before 1997? Um, just a few times, like in Hawaii, once in the Bay Area, places on lakes, you know, in Hobie Cats, and nothing like cruising, crossing major oceans, none of that. So what made you start sailing? Oh, I fell in love. <laughs> you fell in love? I fell in love with Steve. And I'd always really wanted to sail, I guess, somewhere deep in my subconscious. I wanted to be on the water, and I figured I was in Hawaii. And I thought, here I am, surrounded by water. I'm not even on a boat. And I really had a desire to be on a sailboat. And I kind of put it out there, and it happened. What do you mean you put it out there? Oh, I just thought of, you know, what I wanted and dreamed about and said, hey, you know, you need to be on a boat. And actually, I had put it in one of my little dream banks I had written about saying I wanted to sail around the world. <laughs> and it happened. What do you mean a dream bank? Oh, oh, it was probably one of those um, emotional exercises. They say, write down all the dreams. Oh, I think it was from one of the books I'd read. And they say, write down all the things that you want in your life. So I just randomly started writing down a hundred things I wanted, and one of them was I wanted to go sail around the world. This was years before I met Steve. But was it with Steve that you went and sailed around the world? I haven't. We haven't sailed around the world, but um, it's closer than I was before. <laughs> so where do you sail? Where do you and Steve sail? Well, we sailed from Hawaii down to the Marquesas. That was my very first voyage. 19 days all to weather. And I didn't know any better. I didn't know any different. You know, I was just like, okay. Uh, from the Marquesas over to Tahiti, uh, to Omotos, up to the Cook Islands, Rarotonga, and those places, over to Tonga. Actually, Vivao in Tonga. From there over to Fiji, and then down to New Zealand. And that was a year's trip. And then we worked and then came back and went from New Zealand back up to Fiji because we loved it. We didn't see enough of the 300 islands that were there. Went uh, over to Vanuatu, which we are right now, and saw quite a bit of it and loved it. Saw some really extraordinary things. From there we went to, I think it was New Caledonia, and from New Caledonia back down to... New Zealand, and then another time we came back, sailed from New Zealand, and went back up to New Caledonia for six months, really explored the Loyalty Islands, and then from there went to Australia. I probably have this a little bit out of sequence, I'd have to go back to my journal to give you exact times, but that's where, we, and then we've gone to Australia, to New Zealand, and back. So we've, let's see, we've, is, South Pacific mainly, you know, because when we leave our boat to work, we have to leave it either in Australia or New Zealand. When you say all to weather, what does that mean? You're right, right pointed into the wind, pretty much. Which means what? Oh, well, you're hard on the wind. It's, um, you're, well, they can call you smashing to weather if you want. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a broad reach where the wind's behind you. It's not downwind where the wind is right behind you. 
it's right on the nose or just off the nose a little bit so you can at least sail but it makes it for your heel the whole time and it's n and it's not it's not on the beam the beam is directly on the side of your boat so how did you meet steve which came first the boat or steve which did you find first both because my friend that I was working with said she had been sailing with these people and she has, was having such a great time. She goes, why don't you come sailing? I finally arranged it. So I was working a lot in Hawaii and uh, went sailing. And I met Steve. We were on his boat. And I wasn't, I was not available at the time. I was married. And then I didn't get a chance to go sailing much after that. And then I consequently went through divorce and went out on my friend's Terry's boat and met Steve again, but then I was single. And that's how I met him. How far apart were the two incidences? Oh, about a year, I guess. I don't really know for sure, but it must have been about a year. And uh, that's how, how I met him on a different term, you know. We didn't even consider each other because I was married. But once I was single, and he was single, Either one of us attached, hey. And it was just, it just kind of happened. And started going out. Went on our first sailing date. That was fun. When was that? Actually, it was our first date. And he was on his way to Maui. Oh, he'd been, we'd been trying to get together, and I had company in town, and uh, finally... Uh, he called, and he said, you know, we were going to Maui, but... The channel was really stormy, and we decided to come back to this beautiful little bay. He said, can you come down and meet me down there? So I said, sure. So I drove down, hiked over the lava to this beautiful white sand beach. I mean, it's just gorgeous, the aqua water. And he what rode bay? What bay was it? Um, uh, Makalavena. Oh. <laughs> or Makalavena, whatever you want to call it. And you know that's beautiful, right? Powdery white sands. And here he was rowing in, little dinghy, picks me up. And so we went sailing that day, and there were more whales than you can believe. It was like, oh, there's another one breaching, oh, there's another one. It was like, they're outrageous. It was like such a magical day. And that's uh, our first date. And then he drove me back to get my car. We went, well, we had to go back to the harbor uh, to bring in the boat. And then he drove me back to my car. We watched the sunset. He kisses me. Boom, that was it. Never been apart. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. So it was quite magical. And what were you doing magical. before you met Steve? What were you doing? Oh, I was working in the mornings out at the Hilton Hotel doing banquets. And in the afternoons I was doing massages because I had my own little business, massage business. And this was in Kona? Mm-hmm. And is any of your family in Kona as well? My sister was there for a while, and then she moved back to Cal um, Nevada. So I'm the only one. They don't like to be living there, of course. <laughs> maybe because they miss you. Yeah, but they like Hawaii, too. So maybe they will. Again, who knows? So then you and Steve have been together since 97, is that right? Actually, um, 95. Oh, 95. Yeah. Ninety-five, yep. And you were married before then, for mm -hmm. how long? Eighteen years. Eighteen? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. I guess it's a big difference from your last... Yeah, that marriage. was more of a mountain, mountain scene. What do you mean it was more of a mountain scene? That's what you told me before. Oh, it was um, on a quarter-acre land, about 3,500 feet up in the mountains. You'd have to cross-country ski in and out of the house when the snow was three feet deep. So this is not Kona? <laughs> this, is... this is up in the Sierra foothills in California. What was the town? It was out of Twainheart. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Sonora area, up from Modesto, up in the near, um, between Tahoe and Yosemite. But he must have moved with you to Hawaii. Yes. But once you got to Hawaii, it just wasn't working out anymore. 
So how do you like, how did you like, I mean, once you got on the boat and you were like sailing, doing your sailing dates, what did you think? I mean... Before we went, before we got together, you mean, or? Well, I guess you kind of got together at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. Well, he was living on his boat. Uh-huh. Basically. Uh-huh. Oh, I was fascinated by the whole idea. Um, I don't know if I was quite ready for a year experience at first, but I was in love. What can I say? <laughs> was the boat? And I loved, and I think I really liked the I, I whole idea of it. Um, but it's it's a different thing when you're going to break down your three bedroom house you're renting and giving up your well I had a little practice I had started and then just like leave it was that was um that was a harder thing for me to do even though I was really ready for the adventure so I kind of a big leap of faith that I really like it I mean how do you know I mean jumping right out there I didn't know how I feel about sailing. So it sounds like you guys got together and right away you were being asked to sort of fold up your life and come on board. Yeah, we've been together for a bit. And was the book finished? Yeah. Yeah. Other than, you know, putting the trim here and there. Or, you know, basically. So, I mean, it's a comfortable boat and he did make sure that he had two other crew when we went sailing so I would be feel safe and you know not break me in kind of slowly of course how do you break someone in slowly when you take 19 days to weather you know <laughs> it's it's not exactly but you know we had very competent guys helping us and one guy stayed with us for a year while we sailed so that was nice because it's a lot to handle a 50 foot sailboat, especially when you still have your sails aren't roller furling, they're hanked on, which is most sailboats now you have roller furling where you reel them in two lines, and these you just have to hoist them up and so it's it's harder work what was the what was the worst part of your first trip and what was the best part of your first trip I think the worst part was the first week you know, I just didn't... I do get seasick, so I did have to take pills. And I wasn't... I think I was too anxious. You know, I was anxious about the whole thing and not really... Mm, understanding the ocean and getting a feel for it. And it was really... It was my harder time, I think. But after that, I really enjoyed, like, all the adventure of... You know, what was my favorite time? Hmm... There were so many great times because I like to explore. Favorite time. I don't know if I could just name a favorite time. There were so many of them. There were, you know, just a lot of them. So does the fact that you're sailing almost half the time now set you apart from your old friends? Do you feel like when you're talking with your old friends, like, you're not connecting as well or... Are they, I mean, is there a different, do you have a different relationship now with people? Some people, some friends I do, some I don't. Some it's just like, we never went away. You know, we just get together and it just connects other people. Some friends don't like it that you leave, so they have to go get a new best friend, so they do. And then you come back, it's like, well. But most of my friends, you know, still remain friends. I think the hard one is my massage therapist. Ever since we've we've taken the class together, we've traded massages with each other every week. So when when we leave, it's like oh, we both go through massage withdrawals because, and that's hard because we don't. I obviously can't replace her because I'm not getting massages at all, and she has a hard time replacing me because she doesn't know anybody that does the same technique that we learned. So that's a hard one, but we're always glad to see each other because, oh, God, 
I need a massage so bad, you know. <laughs> but most of my friends are, are pretty cool, but it, it does strain it to a bit, you know, to a degree. But some friends, you know, um, have been keeping more in touch with me in email, which has been really nice, and I've gotten more into that, and that's been helpful. Do you feel like a different person? I mean, it sounds like a completely life-changing thing, too. Yes, I do feel different. I feel more uh, confident about my sailing, for sure. And Steve and I have done more sailing by ourselves. And that has helped me a lot. We do try to get people to go with us, and friends like to join us on passages, because it makes the watches so much easier. Otherwise, you know, you're like three hours on, three hours off, three hours on, and you do that for days. <laughs> people, these couples are exhausted. I don't know how they do it. It's really nice to have other people in the boat, too. It's fun to share. We both like being able to share the experiences with people as well. But it's... Um, yes, it's different perspective. I always wanted... I, always, I was just telling Terry tonight that when I would go into people's homes and I'd see these native-looking things up on the shelves, I'd go, wow, I wonder where they got that. And I was always intrigued by other cultures and, and travel. And now I'm doing it. And I just... And I love that. You know, sometimes the, the sailing can be trying, you know, because... You don't have your showers, you know, your regular kind of showers, and you don't have um, the conveniences of just going to the store and getting just exactly what you want. You just kind of have to settle for what they have, which it's pretty good most of the places. You know, you go to major cities and stock up. But it does, uh, it, it gets you down a little bit sometimes. You know, you miss your family. But since we have the phone, that makes it easier. The sat phone's really made a big difference, and my family feels more connected now. And I do try to write postcards, and I try to get to the internet as, as much as I can. And just connect with everybody, do a blanket, kind of like, you know, CC everybody. Because I go, sorry, I only have so much time. It's costing me $20 an hour to internet, so I'm only going to do a short one. And then I just kind of do that. So that's how I stay connected. I think friendships are all about staying, I mean... You have to put a certain amount of energy into friendships, and I've always found that. And I love it, and I love my friends. I, and if you don't communicate with them, tell them where you are, what you're doing, they don't feel connected either. So because I've made an effort to do that, when I go back, we don't feel disjointed. If that answers your question. Yeah. It seems like a, it just seems like such a different... Um, life entirely. It's interesting to me that sailing has such a grip on people. You know, it really does seem like it's almost like you have to choose between you know, one love and another. You know, if you're going to be in cruising mode, you're really choosing to be living a separate life from other people. If I can go back and visit, I'm fine. You know, I don't know what would it be like to be doing it for five years. We've never done it on that, you know, stretch of time. We've done it year and a year at a time. That was it. Of course, you know, you, you work for you, you work for a while. You make some money. You go do it. You come back. You run out of money. You go back and you know work and come back and. So it has worked out well. You know, I mean, everyone goes, "Oh no, she's going to be gone again." And we all like scramble around to see each other before we take off. And that's the big. That's the hard part. Is you miss people, you know. And a lot of my friends don't really like sailing. I mean, they're not sailors. But I've met some really great people, like in New Zealand, that love to sail and have their own, and they join us in different, you know, Vanuatu and Fiji, and it's really fun. So I have some good friends I've met in like New Zealand. We've been there so many different times. I don't know. I think I just kind of take it as it is, wherever I'm at, and just make the very best of the situation, whether I'm running an office or sailing. Oh, you know, I complain, and you know, naturally, and I get in my moods. Ah, I hate this, you know. But I thought, hey, be grateful. Look what you have, 
I mean, you were so, I tell myself, you're so rich. You're out sailing. You're doing, you're doing what people dream about doing. You're doing it. You were telling me about this incredible ceremony that you got to watch in Vanuatu. Mm -hmm. I was, yeah. I, it, I was just thinking, I wonder what the most amazing sort of, you were saying one of the best things about sailing was just having an opportunity to, to explore different cultures and be exposed mm -hmm. to yeah, different people. And does that stand out in your mind as a highlight? Oh, definitely. I mean, it's... Do you um, mind telling me about it? Oh well, God. it was very much like a National, Ge National Geographic moment. Going to an area where... We actually went to an area where the anthropologist had decided to do uh, filming and the whole the whole filming of ancient rituals that were being lost, and he wanted to get it in a film before the millennium to put in the archives of the museum in Port Vila, and he is a curator of that museum, and we had heard about this from another yachty. I said, oh. What an opportunity. Let's do it. So we actually were the first sailboat in this bay. And then this other sailboat comes with these two women. They're hilarious. And uh, they sail in. And, and there were like 20 boats in this big bay. And getting ready to go into the ceremony. Actually, you couldn't even have done it unless you had a boat. Because there was very little accommodations. You know, one little small place. And the anthropologist and the other guys were taking it up. And... You'd see the guys normally during the day, they had their shorts on, the, the chiefs and stuff, and then they'd be dressed up going through this ceremony at night, or not at night, necessarily during the day, and they'd have the big um, pig tusk. You know, they have to be completely come around, and they would wear those, and then they'd be the namba where the dekine would be wrapped in a banana leaf and kind of hoisted up and then strapped around, and they'd be having feathers and all kinds of stuff hanging off, but this was the the dress, and these were the nambas, and it's in the island of Malakula in Vanuatu. What do you mean by dekine? It's a penis sheath, is what it is, and they kind of wrap it in a banana leaf, and um, and there were several different ceremonies we went to. The biggest one was they had built this huge wall with all this elaborate design of leaves and feathers and stuff and then they had carvings up in this high um, kind of a platform way up high and they were shooting arrows and this was all being recorded by the anthropologists but all of the yachts around didn't know what was going on and then they had the women on the side in this one area with the grass skirts and they were bare breasted and uh there was a center where they had all the drumming going on and the guys were all dancing around it and they all had the, the penis sheaths on. And then they were shooting arrows over this wall and none of us knew what this ritual was. I mean, it would have been really fun to have done some research and found out what we were watching other than it was a grading ceremony. But it was, I just was so into it. I just loved it. Now the men could get closer than the women. We had to take pictures from afar, so I always had Steve with a great camera up close so he could get some really great photos. And uh, that was really fun. That was really a great Are there experience. No, go ahead. Are there a lot of... Do you feel like there's a lot of places that you've been able to see only because you've been on a, because you've been on a boat oh. that you wouldn't be able to see otherwise? Mm -hmm. People ask me, well... Do you love Fiji? I go, I love Fiji. And I realize when I send them to Fiji, they're not going to see it the way I did. They're not going to go to this one place that we went to where there was nobody on this island. It was just yours, basically, for the day until another yacht comes in or something. And they're not going to see that unless they go on some little adventure, eco-adventure tour. And I thought, God... What an experience just to be able to go in with your home, in your own bed, with any kind of thing you want to cook on your boat, and just get in the dinghy and go snorkeling to these incredible places where the water is still 
pristine. And, oh, my highlight this year was when we were in Fiji, is we'd heard about the manta rays. So we're going over to this little pass, we anchor, and get in the dinghy, go out there, and Steve goes, look, there they are. He goes, jump in now. I go, we need to jump in with them. They're huge. They're like, you know, like five-foot wingspan or six. They're big. So I jump in, little do I know it's a pass, and I'm like sweeping back, and Steve's like way forward. I go, wait, wait for me. I'm not, I can't keep up with these guys because it was really strong. So then we just both got in, the, got in out of the dinghy, hung on to the dinghy, and drifted with these guys swimming along these manta rays. They were incredible. They were huge. I mean, there was like 15 of them just through this whole pass. It was, it was, I was so into taking photographs that I barely, <laughs> I couldn't almost, you know how when you photograph and you don't, really study it as much so it'll be fun to see how they come out and i like doing a lot of underwater photography it's not that i'm good at it because i guess you have to have a better camera but it's it's fun i like the underwater i love to snorkel it's like a whole other world how was it joining up with steve when he'd been doing this for so many years already did he have already like all of his sailing buddies and you were kind of the newcomer on the side or have it Steve always made me feel very inclusive in everything. Um, we were both very in love, and still are. And uh, he says, this is your boat, you know? And they were all great people. I love all our, our friends now, you know, that were his friends. And they're sailors, and... I mean, maybe I don't have quite the passion that... I know I don't have the passion Steve has for sailing because I get much too frustrated. You know, the wind changes. I go, <laughs> excuse me, why are you coming from the other direction? We've got to change the sails. You know, it's like, couldn't you just, like, stay one direction? Like, so I don't have to, so I could finish this book or something. I'm not real patient when it comes to changing sails. And then I'll get, okay, all right, all right. Um... I forgot where we were going with that. Oh, I was asking you just how it was oh, to be with join, after he'd been yeah. doing this for so long. You know, it just came real natural. It was, and I liked all his friends, and we just all got along and just started sailing. And I think I still get, when I get people on board, and I want to make sure everyone's happy, and I'm kind of playing hostess, it creates a certain amount of anxiety before I get it all ready. You know, like, God, do I have enough food? Do I have this and that? Are they going to like this? Or, uh, you know, it's like when someone comes to your house, you want to get it all perfect. And then once they're there, you just kind of relax. It's the same with sailing. You know, you get all provisioned, and you go out and you have a good time. But that's where my anxiety, I think, is, is just getting stocked up because you know you're out there. Like, what if you don't baking powder? It's not like you can go to any store and buy it. I mean, you may go to a little village and they have, like, you know, two things of sugar, a pound of butter. Or, no, wait a minute, that's caused refrigeration. They don't have refrigeration. They only have sugar and flour and matches and soap and detergent, and that may be it. So you have to have everything on your boat. You're, you're totally self-contained. Like Steve has the plumbing shop and the electrical shop and, you know, all the lubrication shops for all the greases and oils and... You have to have everything. Your, your little world is right here. And that concept would really freak a lot of people out, I think, you know, that you couldn't just go and buy something when you need it. And that you have to make sure you have it all right here. Yachties mm -hmm. perceived by the people in the areas where you go. Like, the, like at a place, you know, like Fiji, where there's lots of people who arrive on yachts, or you... Mm -hmm given different treatment anyhow or by the locals yeah by the locals by the people in, who are in the tourist business right is there um, a different set of expectations for you um, most resorts welcome you they're pretty cool you know they like your business you come in you um, buy dinners you know some of them like yeah, no, you yachties, you know, you're so cheapskate, some of them. But there's a lot of yachties that have a lot of money. They're retired, and they 
you know, spend a lot of money. Um, if you go to... No, you're talking about Fiji, right? I'm just saying in, in general. general. Well, like in New Zealand, they really sponsor yacht business. I mean, they go out of their way to make it easy for you. In Fiji, it's pretty easy, too. They'd like yacht, you know, yachties. Um, Tonga, they do. Vanuatu, you go in into different anchorages, and they're one of the few places where people will come out in their little pongas and visit you, like, straight away. You're anchored there on you. Why? (laughs) Hi. I mean, you're like opportunity in their their bay. So they're going, who? What do you got to trade, you know? what's And Yanni's the word has gotten out in the, in the cruising guides to not just give gifts but to trade because then they start expecting just to get handouts. So they'll ask you if you have T-shirts, and then it's really cool because I'll ask them sometimes what kind of vegetables they might have, and so they'll go and bring me back vegetables the next day, and I'll pay them for it. But there'll be times when I really would get into an anchorage and I was dying to take a shower, and it's a solar shower, and you'd kind of feel like, well, okay, there's four boats around the the boat. Like, I'd really like to say, can't get out here, you guys. I want to take a shower. <laughs> They're just curious. But that's one of the few places I've been so far in is Vanuatu, and they just, I think they just, like, you, it's your, your big ship coming in or something. You know, it's like opportunity. Like, I wonder what they have to trade. I mean, what else are they doing on these little remote places? You know, you're just kind of like, hmm, what's that all about? We've taken pictures, like Polaroid pictures, and they loved it. That was the best. And then people would come up and say, wait, wait, I want to go get my best dress on. or Let me go get my grandkid, you know. And one guy actually came up to the boat and asked if we'd take a picture of him. I'm sorry, we ran out of film. <laughs> you know how Polaroid is, you just use the packs up. How is it amongst the other yachties? I mean, is there like a yacht kind of culture? Does it change from place to place? Yacht culture. Never heard that term before. I'm trying to get a feel of what. Like, like for example, do you could. Do you tend to see kind of the same people over and over again? And do they have their own sort of community, like cliques? How do they? How do people in both deal with each other? Well, let me just give you just a little history, not history, but just a little concept here. Let's say uh, one year, like we started out one year, like in the Marquesas. Some people had come over from Mexico to the Marquesas. Some had come, like us, down from Hawaii. And you kind of travel together. When you all converge like that, you know everyone's heading across the South Pacific. And that's how you keep running into each other, because you'll go down to this bay, and then you'll come over here, and then you'll catch up with them in a couple weeks over here. And you get together and you do a lot of little cocktails. You don't do dinner so much, because everyone only has so much food. So you do, like, oh, come over for a cocktail, or bring your own cocktails, you know, because, hey... You guys got any ice over there? Oh, yeah, come on over. I got ice over my place. You know, so everyone has a little different things, and everyone's on different financial levels and stuff, and maybe some have kids. But you kind of are on, like, the, all the coconut runs through the islands, and you know you're either headed to New Zealand or Australia because you got to put your boat, you got to be in a safe zone somewhere out of the cyclone season. Or maybe you could take it up to Fiji if there's some places. Um, but that's kind of how you connect with that year with people now if you keep going around the world with them then you'll stay in touch and but then there's a whole new flotilla of people coming through from the Marquesas again around and you may not see people you know like like we'll go down to New Zealand several times it will be on different agendas and our friends our other friends are in Europe now they when we stopped in New Zealand they kept going on to Australia, and then up to Thailand, and then up the Red Sea. But they went up when it was still pretty mellow to go to Red Sea, before the war and everything. So I don't think we'd even do that. But we're not in a rush to leave the South Pacific. There's too much to see. But it does sound like there's a cur- there's a current 
that you kind of people get on because mm-hmm. there's a certain time of year to, that it's right. the best time to yeah. go to see certain yeah. places it's true and so when people are going around the world you can almost predict when they're going to go and where they're going to be mm-hmm. they have to get out of certain areas before cyclones hit right <laughs> if you don't you'll be wishing you did <laughs> yeah, believe me it's uh there's some scary times out there when you're have you guys ever been caught in a cyclone? Yeah. What happened? Uh, let's see, we were in Rarotonga and there was one in June. It wasn't supposed to be happening. It wasn't real high winds. It was about 70 knots. And uh, we decided to get out of the marina. Actually, the harbor master said to get out of... It wasn't a marina exactly. It was just a a wall you you know, tie to. And then you anchor out. Tahiti tie kind of thing. And they said to leave the you know, leave the area and go to the other side. And we said, okay. And a lot of boats didn't. So we were on the other side, and they didn't figure it would cross that side. Well, I don't know, the cyclonist decided to take a left turn, came right over the top of us, <laughs> and we were all ready for it, if it hit, because we were right, um, had things on our, our radar, had GPS coordinates, you know, because there was another boat out there with us, so we wouldn't hit each other for some reason, you know, when you're out there and you can't see a thing because it's raining so hard. Our radar widened out. It was raining so hard, and the one of the crew was in the cockpit. She had an inflatable on, and it rained so hard through the bimini up there. It set her life jacket off. <laughs> it was, what do you mean it set her life jacket off? Well, you know the inflatable ones? It... it it doesn't nu- usually go off unless you, like, go in the water. I see. <laughs> this time it just went off. And she's like going, oh, oh. <laughs> it was raining so hard. It was so... That was... I think that was the strongest I've been in. It's about 70 knots. Wow. Yeah. And then there was another one in Fiji. What happened to the boat? She's fine. It was, you know, it was just... Were you on the boat? Uh-huh. And, and yeah, and the winds were like about 70 knots and rain, rain, a lot of rain. And it heavy just rain. back and forth. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't, because um, we were just kind of going back and forth in this little coordinates um, because we knew we were, you know, offshore so, so far, according to the radar. Of course, we couldn't see on the radar anymore, but we had GPS plotted it. And so we knew as long as we stayed in those coordinates, it would be okay. But that was the only way you couldn't see a thing. I mean, it was like solid rain. It was, I go, this is what it's like. But I can't imagine what some people have gone through. We've had friends that went through the cyclone in, in um, Raiatea down near in the Tahiti area. And it was, I mean, the boats were on uh, stands in the, it was in dry dock kind of. Or not dry, you know, dry dock, and they just went just the domino effect, clear down and wiped out so many of the boats. And boats were up on the shore, and I mean that's something you know. Sailors always have to be vigilant because you hear something at night. You know, is anchor dragging, the winds are coming up. You can hear, and I'm pretty conscious. You know, come out of dead asleep, just going, what's that sound or? You, you were going to say something about a, another storm in Fiji. Oh, yeah. Well, we had to get out of uh, an area we knew one was coming, a cyclone. And uh, everybody went up the river. We have a deep draft boat, so we have a big keel. What does that about, mean? Uh, we draw about eight feet. So, you know, once you've gone into seven, you're in the mud. <laughs> So we had to get into a different area, and we set out about five anchors because we're thirty tons. If we start swinging around in an anchorage, and you're and you happen to be a fiberglass boat next to us, you could be like in trouble. So we uh, just got ourselves protected behind an island, and it didn't come. I can't remember if it came very close or not, but I don't remember. You know, getting the same kind of. We didn't have the same kind of seventy knot winds or anything. So it must have gone around, but you have to not, you have to take these cyclone warnings very seriously. You know when they're coming, you can't just you know there was another one in uh, New Caledonia 
that was sitting over the top of it, and we were heading into New Caledonia. And everyone's going up, and when we finally got to Noumea, everyone's going up and down the dock going, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, they have this system where you take a long line, and you hook it to the dock behind you. And I go, well, has anybody done that yet? I mean, how many divers are there in the marina that can take that line to the other side? And they go, oh, two. And they go, well, like, how many boats are here, and how long is it going to take, and when is the cycle coming? So Steve and I decided we're going to just go ahead and do it. Maybe it's insurance that it won't happen, right? So you pay the guy. So, But it was great because we just got all this line together and uh, had him do it. And it didn't happen. But, you know, it's kind of an adventure. You could get hit with a cyclone. They had been hit by a cyclone in March. And a lot of the boats had moved over into another bay where they had the docks for the big big ships. And one of the big cargo ships broke and took out 20, 27 yachts. So, I mean, not that I'm saying we've been we've been lucky. That's true, but the oceans, she can be just glassy, like a lake. It's unbelievable, or she can be just raging. <laughs> you know, I mean, coming up, we've come up along the coast of New Zealand, and had. Pretty, like four or five meter seas. Five meters? Five meters, let's see. Yep, five meter seas. 70 knot winds. That was my scariest, I think. What happened? Oh, waves were breaking over the back of the boat, and it, I think the thing made me afraid is if I, we had autopilot, which that just steers the boat automatically, but I was afraid I'd have to take the helm if the autopilot. So it had me in this kind of a scare zone when I was at night and on my own watch. And that's what scared me, is that I'd have to really steer and not like, it, what if I had to steer and I broached the boat, you know? And I'm, sometimes I'm not really good at steering at night because you can't really see, so you get kind of like a little disoriented. And you have to sit there and look at your compass, basically. You don't, unless you can have a star, but... If there's a storm, you don't have any stars to look at. You have nothing in the horizon, so you're kind of dependent on your your compass to keep a course and feeling the wind. And as you know, if you're in our cockpit the way it is, you don't feel the wind up there. It, but you want to stay out of the storm. So I think it was a combination of those different factors that make it scary and my lack of experience in that kind of situation. But, I mean, the boat was, she was fine. I never worried that the boat wouldn't make it. It was my own me, you know, that at the helm. It's kind of a hard experience to prepare for in regular life. Hmm. You can't prepare for it, other than experience. And then how do you get experience in those unless you go directly out in one on purpose? And who wants to do that? Does it make you feel like you can approach different other situations in your life outside of sailing with different resources or yeah it does because when you're sailing you're kind of at the mercy of the ocean huh when you're on land you're you're kind of in control you're either in your car or you're walking or you don't have the land moving on you and shifting and and accelerating <laughs> and blowing you over. I mean, you know, you do have a lot of control on land. Yeah, it's it, sailing is uh, challenging. I think that's what men really like about it so much. I'm not saying women don't like it too, but the drive that has gotten men, they, these dreams of always getting out there and sailing, like they think Steve is like, God, Steve, you just like, you're a mentor to get out there and just do it and, and, I think I've heard more men want to go to sea than women. And a lot of people consider Steve their mentor. Well, I, not their mentor so much as, I mean, maybe their mentor of the, that he's a Johnny Appleseed, that he goes, hey, if you want to do it, just go out and do it. They go, what do you mean, just go do it? Just go do it. Right. And they admire him because he just does it. 
Do you imagine that you'll keep sailing like ad infinitum to the end of your days? I think... I don't know yet. I like it the way it is right now, the way we take off. I don't know if I'd want to do it all the time. It's like I had talked to you before about my dad. You know, my parents were getting older. So I'd like to spend more time, you know. Um, I don't want to be long away long periods so much anymore. Could you imagine? While. Could you imagine stopping sailing entirely? Oh, I guess I could imagine it. Do I want to do it? I don't know. It's become such a part. I hmm. That's a very good question. I kind of like both. You know, I like both. You like to live on land and also be mm-hmm. able to sail. Mm-hmm. If there was any place outside of the South Pacific that you could go, where would it be? Europe. Where? I thought it might be kind of fun just to sail into Venice. Because <laughs> I love Italy. And I loved Venice. Although I know it's the Med has its certain trips to it. You know, it's expensive. It's, you have winds or you don't have no winds. Or um, I think it's just that it's everything is so old there. You know, it's so much history. I mean, I love Polynesian. I love the Polynesian group of people because they're friendly and warm. But they don't have architecture. They don't have that kind of history. And I like his. I think I really like architecture. I loved Europe when I was there. So let's see. Maybe you know, it'd be fun to sail in Greece. Maybe. Maybe going to Turkey. I heard Turkey's pretty fun. We have friends in there right now. I guess we could have gone to visit them, see how it was. Now, when you came to get us, where we, where did you come from? Where? I thought you were New Zealanders, and you're coming from New Zealand to pick us up. We did come from New Zealand. We sailed it from New Zealand, made a pit stop at Minerva Reef, and then went up to uh, Fiji. Sailed in Fiji for a while. The Niasawa's. And then off to uh, Vanuatu, and that's where we met you. How long did the total trip take to get here? About 14 days. Because it took um, about maybe 15, let's see, about 15, maybe 12, because we stopped in there for three days. I'm not always good at remembering everything, but I think that's about what it was. Because it's a long, fairly long passage from New Zealand up to Fiji or Tonga and stuff. And so, I just want to reiterate, and this is sort of my last question. How did you get roped into doing this for us? We, how did you find? I mean, how we, did how did how did we end up on your boat exactly? Well, we have always wanted to do kind of really unusual adventures, and we'd kind of put that in the universe, you might say. And so then we were talking to Nancy, and she said, "You know, I want you to meet somebody." And so we went to dinner Nancy. in Griffith. Went down to her house in Napapo, and there was Mimi. And she had this video. And on the video was the people of Taumako. And they were falling these trees and making these canoes. And I just, we looked at each other like, wow, that's really cool. Wow, really? This is like, we're thinking, wow, look at this opportunity. This might be really cool to do this. Ken Steve was so involved with the canoes in his past. And both of us wanting to do something kind of like cool. Like, you know, getting way out there. That's how it happened.
Meaning it, ha it happened because you went with Nancy to meet Mimi. Mm -hmm. Mimi showed you the video. Mm -hmm. But she also, I mean, she, she said, just come on over. Or what did she say? Oh, Nancy said, just I want you to come over and meet this this lady. She, uh -huh. she just wants to talk to you about something, see if you're interested. And she wanted to talk to you about? The project. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it kind of started. When was that? Oh, before we left on the trip. That was uh, February, okay. maybe January, January. Oh, this year. Yeah. Or was it January? Because we left in March. And then we weren't to do it or not. You know, there was a couple variables. How many people in the boat? Uh, where could we get potable water, you know, because we would be having to continue on, you know, everybody could leave the boat and go back to normal, but we were the ones that were going, like, okay, and like, where do we get our water, and like, where do we provision, and um, malaria issue, you know, there were several things to consider, like that, and then we said, don't be a chicken, let's go for it, <laughs> just get malaria pills, and and that's when we start solidifying everything on the um, the email and saying, "Hey, okay." But it was a little it was a little vague there for a while. <laughs> you must admit through the emails, like, "So how many people are there? And what's the schedule? Can we do that? Can we get over there in time?" And we knew we'd have to rush, push our trip through Fiji a little faster, and we'd have to like kind of do a pit stop in Vanuatu and not even stop, you know, so. Now, you know, we're doing it. <laughs> like a miracle. Oh, my God. <laughs> it happened. And uh, I think we basically asked for it. Don't we all? We definitely did. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think we all asked for these adventures in our life, and then they show up, and then you go, well, here it is. Do you want to do it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> here is your life on a silver platter. Are you hungry? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Take a bite. You might like it. It's true. Mm -hmm. uh, well, thank you, Cheryl. You're welcome. <laughs>